Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dell, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMS7 Investor Behaviour. We frequently talk about investing and trading on this podcast and most particularly about investing in the Australian share market. But for some of our listeners, this is actually uncharted territory. You may have plenty of other investments, managed funds or property in superannuation, but the leap to buying and selling your own direct shares can be a bit daunting. There are all sorts of logistics to the management of the share market. So even if you've been investing for a while, stay with us. Today, I thought I'd go to the source. So I'm talking with Rory Cunningham of the Australian Stock Exchange, the ASX, as we call it. Rory has been with the ASX for seven years and is currently the Senior Manager of Sales and Product Development. So he is perfectly positioned to help you understand the share market in Australia. Rory, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So Rory, let's start at the beginning for everyone. Mm -hmm. What is the ASX? Yeah, so the ASX, um, I suppose that acronym stands for the Australian Securities Exchange, but most most people, I suppose, in Australia would know us as our original name, which is the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, We've evolved since since those days, and I think we'll probably talk about a little bit about that in in this session. But essentially, we run the infrastructure uh, that enables investors to buy and sell shares. Um, So the day-to-day or the primary function of the ASX is to manage the rules, the processes, the people and the technology so that companies or or products can can list or admit their shares onto ASX. Those shares can be traded via the ASX and then they can be cleared and settled using our technology. Right. Sounds sounds quite fancy. And I told people that you would learn something. I've called it the stock exchange and we now know it's the securities exchange. And I've probably been getting that wrong for 20 years, which is a little bit embarrassing. Or maybe it was called the stock exchange when I started and it just means I'm old. Um, so share markets have evolved like other markets yes. over literally hundreds of years, right? So basically people, uh, they allow people to buy and sell stuff. And in increasingly sophisticated ways now. And so you talk about infrastructure and technology, it's changed a lot. So what sort of things can you buy and sell on the ASX? Yeah, so of course you can buy shares in listed companies and there's over 2,000 listed companies uh, on ASX these days. Uh, Your investors would, or your listeners would also be familiar with real estate investment trusts, uh, infrastructure funds, other products like hybrids and bonds. Um, But we also provide investors with access to professional investment managers. So we've got a range of what we call investment products that are available on ASX. So those are things such as listed investment companies and trusts, uh, of which there's over a hundred now. We've got exchange traded products or exchange traded funds. Uh, They're quite popular in Australia and there's over 200 of those available. And also our newest and and kind of fastest growing product is M-Fund or Unlisted Managed Fund. So across all of those, uh, I suppose, products or or companies, there's there's a range of uh, ways that investors can build a portfolio and achieve diversification in that portfolio, which is really the aim of or the goal of ASX in in our function. It's really cool when you think about it, this idea of investing in businesses and many people won't be confident starting their own business or don't just have no desire to, but to invest in 
Australian businesses. I mean, they're primarily Australian businesses listed on the ASX, but not all of them. Uh, so, yep. investing in business of various types, but also, as you say, infrastructure and real estate and all these other things. They're assets that are obviously businesses manage them and run them, but they're not explicitly just the business. You're also investing in the assets underneath them. That's right. So, most people listening to the podcast will be will start off being interested in buying and selling shares. Yes. How would you define a share for people? A, a share, a share. well, the shares that are listed on ASX, the majority of them are ordinary securities. So that an ordinary security really gives an investor part ownership of a company. Um, and along with other investors, that entitles them really that what we operate on what we call a one share one vote policy in Australia so when an investor owns one share in a company they they have one vote so they actually at the AGM can vote on certain decisions that are required for a publicly listed company so what's an AGM that's an annual general meeting right fair enough so yeah. companies hold those companies hold those uh, in investors or shareholders in the company are entitled to go along uh, listen to an update from the board of directors and from, I suppose, the senior management of that company as to the performance of the company, how it's tracking against its stated objectives and goals. And then there will be certain items uh, at that meeting that are required for voting. Uh, and so as a shareholder in that company, an investor gets to vote. And you touched on something earlier, which was the, the types of companies that are, that are listed on ASX. And I think that's one of the, the, the great things is that as a shareholder or as, as an investor, you can get access to a variety of sectors, you know, in Australia and listed on ASX, we'll obviously be very used to um, big financial services companies such as the, the big four banks that are, that are listed on ASX. We're also quite used to mining companies. Obviously, Australia's got a, a very long heritage um, in, in the mining sector. Um, telecommunications companies will obviously be very, be very use, uh, used to. But then also newer industries, um, the, the range of healthcare or life science companies that are available through the ASX and increasingly technology uh, companies as well. Uh, has been a, a fast growing sector on ASX. So yeah, it's very exciting to be able to access these different companies all at various stages of growth. I very shortly to be doing a podcast with Scott Phillips from Motley Fool talking about those technology companies that everyone's very keen on. So yes. uh, he'll have right. some opinions about where people might like to put their money. Yeah, those. yeah, I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> so let's say I want to buy a share in a particular company in one of those sectors that you've mentioned yes. so let's say I've decided I'm keen I think there's opportunity there let's start with how much money do I need how much money do I need to get started is there a minimum yeah so there's probably two parts to that answer one is what's the minimum so the minimum uh, what we call a parcel size or mm -hmm. uh, the minimum uh, order value would be 500 Right. Uh, so to place an order through a broker, you need a minimum of $500. Of course, the second consideration is around the costs of placing that order, the brokerage costs. So you always want to make sure that if you are investing, um, that the dollar amount that you're investing, it's not eaten up by, by brokerage. So you really want to make sure that the, the entry costs and also your possible exit costs through brokerage that 
um, it, it's scalable in a way. So, you know, while five hundred dollars is is a minimum parcel size, you just want to match that up to make sure that you're not getting too much of a percentage eaten away in brokerage because that obviously has to be made up in terms of performance. Fair enough. Uh, it's worth noting as well. Uh, we don't have a lot of companies with a $500 share price in Australia. Uh, a great example in the US is Berkshire Hathaway, where there are shares that are considerably more expensive than the minimum parcel size, right? That's right. Um, yes. Berkshire <laughs> Hathaway is worth well over 300000 Australian dollars. Um, in Australia, you know, you want to buy one NAB share, it's $25. The minimum parcel size is 500 so you would be buying 20-odd shares, right? That's right. Yes, exactly. It's a... It's a You've got enough money to get started. So let's say I have enough money to get started. What yep. is the first thing I need to do now? So I've got my $500 or more than that, hopefully. Yep. What do I need to do? Yeah, so uh, this it's an interesting question. I think it's going to vary depending on, on who you ask. I, I think there's kind of three things mm-hmm. um, that an investor should be thinking about once they've uh, decided that they're ready to make an investment or they've got the, the kind of minimum investment amount. The first thing is obviously you need to open up a brokerage account. Right. So um, the broker is what? What's their job? Yeah. So the, the it's the broker's responsibility to place the order into the market, so into the ASX. So a broker is um, what we call a participant of ASX. That means that they're bound by the ASX rule books and they have a, no- a number of obligations as well under the, the Corporations Act as uh, financial services providers but they're responsible for taking carriage of the investors money for facilitating that order into the market and then through which we'll talk about in a little bit I'm sure through the messaging uh, of a trade clearing and settlement a record of ownership will also be reported back to that investor Right. Okay. So you've got to open up a brokerage account. Yes. How would most people do that? Yeah. So there's, we tend to bucket brokers into two sort of camps. One are full service brokers. Full service brokers, uh, as the name suggests, provide a full range of services and and generally um, also provide advice to investors if, if they need more direction in terms of what stock they should invest in or what their investment strategy is. There's also online brokers and and online brokers generally uh, leverage technology to make the process of a opening account and then also placing that order into the market uh, a lot more seamless. And and given where technology is at these days, um, I dare say you could probably open an online brokerage account with your mobile phone. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty pretty uh, quick and hopefully relatively painless process depending on uh, whether or not you got a card card with you which generally <laughs> certainly was my downfall when I yep. was trying to do it. Um, <laughs> so NAB trades an online broker if you're wondering and uh, <laughs> and it is our job to place orders for people. Yes. Uh, certainly when I first started in the industry online brokers were let's call it in their infancy they mm. were sort of starting and they weren't particularly functional but they certainly took off really quickly it was quite exciting for people in much the same way online banking has taken off for people who want to just undertake the transaction right don't necessarily want all of the 
extra support that you might get if you're going to a full service broker. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think it's to investors to, to decide uh, what is it they, they need and, and want from their service providers. And in the case of a, of a broker, um, if you want the ability and the technology to, to just place an order into the market, then an online broker makes sense for you. If you, if you want uh, a lot more hand-holding or, or advice, uh, then that's where you should be possibly looking towards a full service broker. Mm-hmm. So that's step number one, open an account? That's right. Step number two is, is more difficult. Um, I think an investor should understand what their investment goals are. Oh, um, right. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a complex topic, of course, but it's an important consideration, I believe, before making a, an investment decision. Well, that, that, that could be an option. <laughs> and, and listen, depending on how much you're, you're looking to invest um, and what that amount is of your total portfolio, then there's different considerations, right? Because if it's a small amount and you're just looking to test the waters, then then perhaps you don't need to do as much thinking about your investment goals. But uh, if you are thinking longer term, I, I, I believe an investor should be asking them the sort of questions like what they want to achieve from their investments, um, understanding if they're investing for the short, medium or long term, what type of return they're looking for as well? Are you looking to get capital growth? Is it is it is your investment a punt? Are you looking mm. for a junior, more speculative company, or are you investing in a more well-established um, industrial company that doesn't change too much on a, a, in terms of their their growth profile on a year-on-year basis? And then also, what asset classes are you looking to access? Are you looking to access Australian equities? Do you want to access international markets? Is it infrastructure assets that you want? So I think asking some of those questions is, is a really important part of, uh, of that, that, that step. Sure. Okay, so that's step number two. Yep. So I've got my account open. I've got my $500 or more. Yes. I have thought long and hard about what I want to buy. And if it's... Yep. Specky, that's fine as long as I know that's it's specky. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just setting those expectations up. Mm. And uh, you know, or if I've decided I want to get to, talking about the changes in the market, there was certainly no access to international equities when I was uh, first looking at all of this. But you yeah. can now buy all of those things via the ASX. So I've made my decision about how I would like to invest and what I'm trying to achieve with it. Mm. Step three. Step three is making the investment selection. Right. Yeah. So you know. We've, we've, and we've talked through that, so you can invest in shares, so buy direct shares in, in listed companies. If it's international markets, you might prefer to start off by using an ETF or an M fund or a listed investment company or trust. If you're looking to get access to property, maybe you'll look at a real estate investment trust. So that final step is really around executing and making the decision. Right, so we're getting into the execution component now. Yes. So I've got my money there. I'm ready to. Uh, I'm ready to go. Yep. So it probably will depend on who you're trading with. Um, certainly, with NavTrade, you need to move your money into your account in order to place the trade. But we'll get into that component in a minute. Yes. Can I buy and sell any time I like? If I make this decision at three a.m. on a Tuesday, can I just go? <laughs> 
So, so trading on ASX actually happens between a range of times. Right. Um, the market opens at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. and closes at 4 p.m. Right. So the responsibility of the broker, um, well, actually, let's take a step back. An investor goes into, say, for an online broker, goes into the screen, mm-hmm. uh, types in, let's use the example of BHP, types mm-hmm. in the BHP shares, places in the quantity of shares that mm-hmm. they would like to um, like to buy, and then places that order via the broker. The broker then is responsible for sending that order into the ASX market, um, what we call ASX trade. And over the period of that time for 10, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., the trade will or should match against other orders that are in the market. Okay, let's talk about that. Yes. So this is, this is a quite an interesting question, I reckon, for people who are just getting started. So you have a look, for example, uh, now it used to be you looked at yesterday's close in the newspaper, right? But things have changed. You can now get real-time pricing on shares and it will tell you, uh, I'll use NavShare as an example because it's usually sort of uh, around $25. So let's say NavShare is $25. Yes. Uh, do I have to pay $25 for it? No, no, that, that does not have to be the order that you place into the market. So the way that I think it's best to summarize this is essentially there's um, two, two types of orders, let's say, or there's two segments of orders. You can place an order by price and you give some price characteristics, which I'll talk to in a second, and then also the time that that order spends in the market. Mm-hmm. So let's start with price. Uh, there's two ways to, to enter into an order into the market. One is via what we call a market order. So this is a, an order that's given to the broker, NabTrade in, in this case, to buy or sell at the current market price at the time the order is given. So if I placed an order, let's use NAB the bank, $25. If I placed a market order and NAB is currently trading at $25, I'll be that trade will go through at $25. It just goes through at market price. And that means someone has sold it at $25, right? So you're matching up the sellers and the buyers. That's right, exactly. Now, if I didn't want to pay $25, if I said, no, hang on a second, (laughs) I think NAV is worth $24.50, for example, I would put in what we call a limit order. And a limit order gives instructions to the broker to buy or sell that security at the specified price or better. Right. So the broker must either hit $24.50 or better, which in the case of a buyer would be less than $24.50. Right, okay. And how do they do that? The investor? The broker. How does the broker do that? Mm. They throw it into the market and a seller picks it up. <laughs> <laughs> so these days there could, there could actually be a... Um, an algorithm running that but mm. typically what happens is there's a, a designated trader uh, a, a DT mm-hmm. that is responsible for managing that order uh, and they put the parameters in in this case it's $24.50 or less mm-hmm. and uh, essentially the broker is responsible for, for making sure that that happens so ensuring that there's a seller on the other side who's willing to sell at that price that's right. So, so when the order is actually placed, it sits in what we call 
call the order book. Mm-hmm. And the order book occurs on a um, what we call a, a price time priority queue. Um, and essentially all of the buyers are queued up from the, the highest price. Let's use if the, the, the stock is trading at $25. So from $25 down to $24.90, $24.80, $24.70, in the case of our example, $24.50, mm-hmm. for example. And then the sellers would be the other way. Mm-hmm. So from $25.10, $25.20, so on and so forth. And as orders are matched in the market, those orders go away and you just see the existing orders that are in the market. What happens if I decide I want to buy some NAB shares and I put in an order to buy them at $10 each when they're currently trading at $25? (laughs) Then you got a bargain. (laughs) (laughs) Do I just put that in and someone goes, you know, that's not going to happen? Yeah, so there are are rules in the market to help govern uh, what we call um, orders that exist outside of the normal trading range or to prevent... Uh, fat finger errors. Ah, um, mm. There can be uh, systems in place both at the broker's end to ensure that um, that doesn't occur. And then there's also rules from an ASX perspective that, that help govern that too. Right. So you tend to clean out those ones to ensure they don't distort the price. That's right. Yes. Or just sit around annoying everybody. That's right. <laughs> okay. The, so the other, the other piece I wanted to say was around the time that an Mm -hmm. order stays in the market. So again, kind of like placing the price where you have a market order and a limit order. Uh, On time, you have a day order, which essentially means that the order is good for the day. Mm -hmm. And then it would be the responsibility of the investor to come back the next day and put the order back into the market. Or the investor can specify what's called a good to cancelled or a good to expiry order. Um, And as the name suggests, uh, that's that order's good until it's cancelled. Okay, so if I, this is probably not an issue for people who are just getting started, but it is a good example for people who've been doing this for a little while but haven't seen a significant correction or bear market. Um, so for those of us who are around in the GFC, and certainly there'll be those who are around a lot earlier than that, you know, if you're around in 1987 where you weren't, you weren't looking at a screen if you were a, a mum and dad investor, you didn't have access to those sorts of tools. But if you were reading the closing price in yesterday's paper, you'd be reading today's closing price at a much, much lower level. The you know, markets really started taking a dive really quickly. Mm. In that scenario, people are placing orders at market and they're just getting cleaned out really, really quickly. Things are changing. Sorry, say that again. What's I, the, the question? So the yeah. question is effectively. This is me asking stupid questions, but it's probably worth it because I think for most people, they've never seen this scenario. So what happens if now was $25 this morning, mm. uh, there's a huge ruction overnight or mm. something very dramatic has happened. People are starting to sell very quickly. So I go in wanting to sell at $25. The price has already dropped to $24.50 and it's dropping really quickly. In that scenario, are people just placing orders at market and they're just clearing out really, really quickly as people try to sell fast? Is that what's happening? Um, So I suppose you could use a stop loss. In that scenario to prevent you being in that situation. That's right, yes. Yeah, so that's that's how 
one would uh, attempt to prevent against that. Fair enough. Yes. Okay, so you wouldn't want to have a sort of a good till cancelled order in that situation. Correct. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these are some of the considerations, I suppose, for an investor, definitely when placing an order and placing their first order. Um, and I think one of the, the interesting points you make there as well is around the, the volatility of the stock, right? Mm. Um, and volatility across stocks can can definitely vary depending on the stage of the business, the, the type of industry that they're in, um, and also, I suppose, what the, the company is looking to achieve. So that's definitely an important consideration for, for investors. Of course, when it comes to other types of products, be they exchange traded funds or listed investment companies or trusts or um, you know, perhaps even real estate investment trusts, those considerations are, are a little bit less just given the nature of those types of funds. Um, but again, that's, that's, yeah, that's some of the education required for an investor. Mm, fair enough. So I've placed my order now. Yes. So I've gone in, uh, so I've either spoken to a full service broker and they've placed an order for me yep. uh, and they're going to manage it to ensure that I get the price I've asked to pay or whatever it might be, uh, or I've gone in and I've placed an order online. Yep. How do I pay for my shares and how do I know that they're mine once I've paid for them? Yes. So it's there's a bit of a process here uh, from uh, placing the order through to... Uh, getting a confirmation that they're yours. So first of all, most brokers will work with um, a cash management account. So an investor will have a cash management account that's tied to their brokerage account. Um, So money comes out of the the cash management account. But in Australia, we operate on what we call a a T2 settlement period or um, trade plus two. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will talk through this, what what that actually (laughs) means. (laughs) What that essentially means is that once a trade occurs, so let's go back to the example of NAB, I've placed in my order for $25, that trade has occurred at $25. Settlement occurs two days later. So the question is, what is settlement? Yeah, right? I was about to ask. <laughs> so settlement is the process of cash and shares being transferred. Now, in the case of a buyer, that's the cash from the buyer going to the seller and then the shares from the seller going to the buyer. Perfect. Yeah. So it's the same as settlement with the property for anyone who's been through that process. That's exactly right. Now, all of this, uh, unlike property, Mm. um, happens electronically. And that process in uh, investors might start to see this term, particularly as they uh, are new to the process, will see what we call DVP or delivery versus payment. And uh, that essentially is the, the settlement process, this, this T plus two that we're talking about. Now... So if you've got two days to pay for something, mm-hmm. it's effectively what you're saying, so I place my trade and then I've got two days to pay for it. Generally, how is that managed? Do I need to have the money sitting there as I place the trade and then it's withdrawn from my account two days later? Is that how it works? Well, I think different brokers actually have different processes uh, depending on what their policies and procedures are. But if you think of it, um, the way that I like to think of it anyway is in uh, there's a three-step process that actually happens. There's 
trading, clearing, and settlement. And so let's start off with the trading aspect. Trading happens on T0. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then by T2, trade plus two, we'll have clearing and settlement. Now, as I've said, the, the, the settlement bit is the transfer of cash mm-hmm. on that second day, which can vary by broker, but essentially think of it as the transfer of cash on the second day and the receiving of those shares on the second day. Mm-hmm. Now, the system that manages that is what we call CHESS, our clearinghouse electronic sub-register system. Oh, well, that's easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> so on the second day, CHESS will be responsible for recording that settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also responsible for registering the ownership of shares. Okay. So ASX system actually registers that an investor has transferred cash. This is on T2, mm-hmm. has transferred that cash and those shares have been received and are now registered under that investor's name as legal title. Okay. So what is good for investors to know those because things are done electronically now. You don't actually have to physically transfer it yourself. Your money will be in the broker account and it will just be debited automatically. That's right, yes. It's yeah. a hell of a lot easier than it used to be. Well, I think the two, the two bits, right? So, so one is that the money is debited electronically mm-hmm. from the broker's account and then the registration of those shares also happens electronically and that it happens in a highly governed way. Mm. Um, highly regulated way, which hopefully gives investors certainty that uh, or confidence in in the system, so that once they're placing a trade, they have uh, certainty that they'll receive ownership of those shares. And what sort of notification do you receive? Yeah, so that that system that I talked about, the the chess system. Um, so not only is it responsible for recording or registering the ownership of those shares, but it also produces holding statements. Mm-hmm. So upon registering shares or, or owning shares, you'll receive what we call a, a chess holding statement. In addition to that, of course, the broker um, will provide a notification that you now own shares and uh, most brokers will have a, a landing pad or um, sort of some sort of screen that gives an overview of your entire portfolio and you'll be able to see the, the number of shares or, or units um, and hopefully the, the price at which you've bought those shares. And their current price too. And their current price. Which yes. is sometimes more important. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got now as opposed to what you paid. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so I've paid for my shares. I now own my shares. I've received some notification to say that I own them. I can go in and view them in my broker screen, hopefully. So I, I can't imagine there are any brokers in Australia we can't do that. I imagine they all have some kind of online access. Um, many people will be buying shares for dividends. So yeah. uh, many will yes. buy for capital growth and they'll be looking for high growth companies but others will be buying for dividends they're trying to create an income stream yes so how is the dividend paid you know i hear Mm. about a dividend yield i know that i want to get that income stream um in the same way i would very much want to ensure that i got my term deposit interest for example how does that get paid yeah so uh the majority of investors would receive a dividend straight into their bank account Right. So that all happens electronically, um, and that's your designated bank account. 
uh, for the investor. The other option um, that investors can choose, and, and this can vary by company, but, but generally it's true that um, most companies will offer some sort of dividend reinvestment plan Mm-hmm. whereby investors, if they, if they choose, they can actually get those dividends reinvested and buy more shares, um, which is a useful way to uh, build up your portfolio over time. So generally, those are kind of the two options for investors. You receive it in cash mm-hmm. or opt to have your dividends reinvested. I dare say there's um, also investors that receive a dividend via cheque, <laughs> um, <but laughs> wow, that's. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not too sure how many of those there would be. Right, still yeah. some, still some. So, how do I keep up to date then with how my shares are going? So, uh, critical to note, you've bought your first share. Congratulations, excellent work. You can buy more if you like, and you can go and buy completely different things, or you can buy shares again in the same company. Yes. Uh, so, there's a whole variety of different things you can do once you've taken step one and gotten involved. Yes. How do you keep track once you've started? Yeah, so the, the easiest way um, is there's probably two or three, three different ways. The first is obviously through the, the broker's website. Um, most brokers and, and particularly online brokers provided a really good portal for investors to see their current portfolio, to see the latest share prices, to, to see or even um, measure the performance uh, of their portfolio or their, their individual stock selections. The other place that investors can keep up to date is via the company's website. So most companies have invested heavily into investor relations uh, to make sure that they're constantly communicating in a, in a correct way with their investors. Uh, so there can be some really good information through companies' websites. And the, the last, of course, a plug for ASX is <laughs> via asx.com.au and via ASX. Investors have access uh, to be able to see all the companies that are listed on the exchange. Uh, Each company has a a company information page set up where you can see, uh, well, there's a 20 minute delay, but see the price at which that company is trading and also keep up to date with any news of uh, of that particular company. So yeah, the broker website, the company website or asx.com.au. Lovely. So one thing uh, I'd not plan to ask you, but it's absolutely imperative for anyone who's actually thinking about doing this. Australia is widely recognised as having one of the best governed uh, stock exchanges in the world, securities exchanges in the world. And it does matter. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Um, And I'll actually take a, a step back because I think what's really important as well in this context is the high level of what we call retail share participation or Mm -hmm. shareholder participation in Australia. So there's about a third of Australians uh, that hold shares directly Mm -hmm. and hold shares actually directly on their uh, holder identification number and which we, you can ask me what that is in a second (laughs) if you like. (laughs) Um, So the, I suppose, the point of that is, or the point I'm trying to get to, is it's really important that we have a highly governed market um, with strong rules and also regulations around it to, to look out for the interests of those retail investors. Um, so that's that's kind of the, if I set the scene, 
And then in terms of how is that governed? So obviously we have the Corporations Act, which um, listed companies are responsible for adhering to the Corporations Act. But in addition to that, ASX has a rule book. Um, so companies that are listed on ASX must abide by what we call the ASX listing rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, brokers that operate in our market or what we call trading participants, clearing participants and settlement participants are also obligated um, to comply with our rule book. So there, there is a, a, a very strict regime around how those different participants and stakeholders uh, need to behave in the market. It sounds really boring, but it's really important for people to understand, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street stuff that you've seen with people, uh, mm. boiler room style, yeah. calling up, punting penny dreadfuls to poor unsuspecting citizens. Yes. That is not permitted here, and if you do it, it's highly illegal, and you can get yourself into a whole lot of trouble. Admittedly, Jordan Belfort also got himself into a whole lot of trouble, um, but, um, but it's worth people understanding that the market here is incredibly well regulated, and it is designed to create a level playing field. So whether you are uh, a student sitting in your bedroom at home, or a retiree, or an institutional fund manager, you should have relatively similar access to high quality information and be able to make your own decisions about investing in a company without being afraid that there's a whole lot of people on the other side just waiting to take advantage of you. Yeah, and I mean, that's obviously, for for a new investor, that's uh, obviously something that um, can be a little bit scary or daunting, right? Because um, if you're not familiar with how our regulations work and then how the, the rules underpinning the market work, then definitely that can be, be scary. And um, of course, while we do have a very strong regulatory system and um, ASX believes we have a strong rule book and um, we do you know, carry out those, those rules and, and mandate them, unfortunately, you know, sometimes there are there is bad behaviour in, mm. in, in, in the market um, and in financial services generally. And you know, we've seen that through the Royal Banking Inquiry. Um, but you know, in my experience, um, the majority of participants in the market are genuinely trying to do the right thing by investors. Um, but sometimes it, it can be ruined by, by a few. It, uh, it's also worth noting that you guys do enforce those rules. So you will delist a company if it's behaving badly. You know, if they're misleading investors or doing dodgy things, you can you can kick them off the exchange, and people can't buy their shares anymore. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, the company also has to comply with their continuous disclosure obligations, right? Which is not only an ASX rule, but it's also a requirement under the Corporations Act. Um, so where a company has not met those obligations, um, even under the Corporations Act, there's, um, f- you know, th- there's implications there from an ASIC perspective too, um, which is, is very serious trouble to, to get into. So yeah, there are definitely penalties for those that, that misbehave. So if you are, the point of that discussion was simply that if you are sitting at home going, I can't play this game because I am, you know, I am but one person and I don't have access to all, all of the information and I fear that I will be taken advantage of, Australia is recognised as one of the safest places you can invest as an individual. 
and feel that you've got a very good chance of being successful. Your whole goal is to participate in the growth of companies listed in Australia. I was going to say Australian companies. Most mm. of them are Australian companies. You know, to participate in their growth and their their ambitions. And generally speaking, that is what will happen here. If you are investing, it's not. Yeah, and, it's not and, a scary market. And, and and that goes back to my first opening remark, right? If there's a third of Australians hold shares. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a let's call it an army of investors out there that, that are, are investing on a regular basis and, and those regulations and rules are put in place to, to provide a way to, to help protect those investors. Awesome. Roy, we've covered a lot of ground here, which is really valuable for investors. At the ASX, you guys work really hard to ensure that investors all the people we're talking to uh, who participate in the market understand, can be kept up to date, they've got all the information they need. Where do people go to find more of your stuff? Yeah, so we have an education centre set up on asx.com.au. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you go to our landing page, you'll, you'll see that education centre. From there, investors can access online courses to that take you through everything from uh, what is a share through to what is an ETF um, or considerations for getting started in shares. We also regularly run uh, seminars, uh, webinars, and investor education days. And in fact, uh, Gemma is involved uh, quite regularly in our uh, <laughs> investor days and a, and a little bit of a plug for them. We've got them coming up in May and June of uh, 2019, and Gemma's participating in those. And they're a really good way for investors to start their journey uh, in considering what to when investing. You guys do a fantastic job of making things accessible to investors. It's a, you know, it's a high quality website. There's a lot of cool stuff you can go to that really demystifies it and makes people feel much more comfortable when they get started. Rory, thanks so much for your time today. No, thank you for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you very much enjoyed listening to this podcast and we hope it's been helpful in your journey to creating wealth. We always love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.